station, your radio station, our radio station, 91.3 FM and 95.8 FM stereo. Born to serve. My eyes see injustice, my hands will for change, my tongue sings the sorrow. It's refreshing and absolutely not worthy to be in your company. Once again on Born to Serve, featuring right here 91.3 FM, featuring leaders in our community that have made a difference, are making a difference, and whose legacy will continue making a difference for many a generation to come. Wherever you are, I hope that you are well, I hope that you are safe, and uh, my name is Muhammad Sheikh. I'll be taking you on this journey this evening, inshallah, we all know a little bit about the murder of Imam Abdullah Harun, a man beaten and tortured until his death in police detention on September 27th, 1969. But what do we know about his real life story? Do you or do we truly understand this multifaceted personality who leaves behind a remarkable legacy for our country? And how do we use that legacy as a guide within the current context of social challenges we face in our country? Tonight, Born to Serve starts a special four-week series looking at the life and legacy of the famous Imam Abdullah Harun. This year marks 50 years since his martyrdom. And in May this year, the Imam Harun 50th Year Commemoration Committee initiated a 123-day campaign to signify the period of martyrdom during which Imam Harun was imprisoned. Imam Abdullah Harun was held in communicado for 123 days at various police stations, but mostly at the Cape Town Central Police Station, then known as Caledon Square Police Station where he was interrogated. Over the past few months, there have been many events of an educational, religious, political, cultural and sporting nature, indicating the various ways that Imam Harun influenced the community and the series will take a deeper look at that influence. Joining me tonight in our first discussion on the life and times of Imam Harun is his grandson, filmmaker Khalid Shamis, director, creator of the film The Killing of the Imam, and uh, a little bit later on the chairperson of the Imam Abdullah Harun Foundation, Mr. Qasim Khan. In tonight's, uh, tonight's discussion, we are going to take things right from the very beginning by looking at the Imam's childhood and education, which proved to be the very foundation of his political uh, uh, and social consciousness. Well, welcome, welcoming this evening, uh, Mr. Khalid. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Wa alaikum wa rahmatullah. How are you doing? Alhamdulillah, absolutely fabulous in yourself. Good, yeah, very well. Alhamdulillah, nice to be back on VOC. I love this place. Absolutely. Alhamdulillah. Lovely to have you with us this evening. Well, we are excited to beginning this for, for this month's journey, inshallah, looking and introspecting on the life of the late Imam Abdullah Harun. And uh, interesting enough, you know, um, given your background, uh, your, your, your family relation as well as some of the, uh, the themes you've covered in the, in the movie, uh, The Killing of the Imam, um, you know, at some point, inshallah, we look forward to introspecting into that. But uh, going through grassroots levels and understanding 
unpacking uh, uh, unpacking who Imam Abdullah Harun was as a young fella, as a young little lad uh, going through school and living in uh, you know the, the the very vulnerable city of uh, Cape Town at that particular point in time. Uh, Mr. Khalid, uh, let us perhaps begin by taking a journey of the Imam as a young fellow. Yeah, so, I mean, as far as I know, <clears throat> the Imam, the, my grandfather, Opa, was uh, the youngest of five kids. Um, and uh, his mother passed away when he was when he was very, very young, an infant still. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he was, most of his upbringing was with his auntie Mariam, mm-hmm. who was, um, uh, you know, his, his father's sister, one of his father's sisters. And, very stern but loving woman towards him, mm-hmm. and it was through her, and it was through her that she put him through school and sent him to Mecca to study uh, some Islamic sciences. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there it was kind of interesting because you know he was born in the twenties, nineteen twenties. So before you know there was this kind of uh, idea of apartheid was there, but it, before it was properly put into law mm-hmm. and so, but he grew up in a community a Claremont community that was mixed but also separated mm-hmm. um, not sure to what extent that influenced or affected him mm-hmm. um, but I think my understanding is very Islamic space he was go- growing up in you know mm-hmm. so much so that the, the decision to send him to Mecca by boat those days mm-hmm. was a big thing but also an understandable, you know, part of the child's journey of learning Islamic sciences and to understand, um, you know, their relationship with Allah and those those kind of things. Mm-hmm. So um, it was there, I think, it was in, when he was in Mecca, he studied under Sheikh Abdurrahman al-Alawi al-Maliki. Um, and probably a lot of the, not just the, uh, the scientists, but the, the kind of spiritual linking with the rest of the Arabic world and the uh, Islamic world mm-hmm. happened. Mm-hmm. And I think that also fortified him a lot for when he came back. Absolutely. Would you perhaps be able to share some light into what the what the religious dynamics in the home was? I mean, to consider Makkah as an option to go for studies uh, back yeah. in the early 20s, I mean, was something perhaps in South Africa, if not taboo, but not the, the norm, definitely. Yeah, I don't know. I think it looks like, I mean, I've seen lots of pictures of people traveling to Mecca and on the boats. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of it was the only way to get there mm. by boat. And people, you know, at some stage wanted to do it. But mostly it was when you're older and you hadn't, hadn't had enough money to make the Hajj, mm-hmm. and you would go. But as a youth, I think it wasn't as common. Um, I think, yeah, that I'm not really, you know, so well versed, but it's, uh, from what I've seen and what research, mm-hmm. it's mainly older people who would have gone, who would have saved up that money to go, and it's an arduous journey, you know. Mm. But he would go and spend time there to study. He would go and spend, you know, a number of months there studying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can we add that uh, the strict aunt, which you know, part, formed part of his nurturing, also played a role in uh, channeling his vision to to go overseas and perhaps maybe uh, setting the religious foundation. Yeah, definitely. I think so. Yeah, I think so. I think, I mean, I think in Cape at that time, there was, uh, you know, the understanding of being Islamic mm-hmm. was, um, wasn't the question, you know? Right. It wasn't, you know, standard. Everyone was 
quite uh, strong with Islam anyway, mm-hmm. and the Shafi'i um, Madhab was very strong also, as well as the, the spiritual practices that were practiced. But I think, yeah, his aunt um, nurtured in him this understanding that education was very important mm. in school and in Islamic studies, probably which affected him, because he was, we all know, he was very much... Um, he was very much supportive of education amongst his family, amongst his nieces and nephews, and the sisters and uh, all of them who came afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, he really encouraged that. So, um, yeah, my Auntie Mariam was probably very strong with that. An interesting thing was actually when he went to, that she actually lived her last days in Mecca. Interesting. And, yeah, yeah. Mm, subhanallah, uh, wonderful. Mm. Um, in terms of uh, you know some of the, uh, or, or perhaps maybe before we we tackle a little bit about uh, his immediate or imminent childhood, uh, what was his ancestry, or at least uh, you know tracing back some of the generations before him that settled in Western Cape? Where are we talking? Where are we talking about geographically? Oh, um, that's a good one. I think uh, as far as I know. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there is some Irish blood in the family, mm-hmm. and uh, you know you're not like pure bred, thoroughbred Cape Malay, as they say. But um, uh, some of the ancestry, probably a large part, came from those Indonesian areas. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, going through those early days of colonization and the, you know the, the different European fighting over territory, I'm sure there was mixtures in there of different mm-hmm. um, kind of blood. Absolutely. Wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My brother, actually, my younger brother, I was told, is doing a DNA test, so maybe when the results come through, Inshallah. Mm, it'll be interesting to 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 see yeah. and to dissect, uh, you know, where exactly how exactly. The reason why I pose the question is, um, you know, the association and the link that uh, the Alawi Maliki uh, family had, uh, particularly, mm. you know, with people in 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 Indonesia or the the Yemen Indonesia mm. connect or the people of Java and they connect with, uh, uh, you know, the Yemeni tradition and the the, the Alawi Maliki family, etc. I perhaps thought that maybe there was some dots, uh, you know, connecting that particular. Channel, but I would just right. say, uh, mm, yeah. I, I think this is, you know, part of Allah's beautiful plan, you know, to how he linked the the Yemeni with uh, Indonesia and that area and how mm-hmm. the Shafi Madhab kind of spread around there as well as the, the soul of the, and also spread down the east coast of Africa and ended up in um, in this, you know, this end of the earth. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, looking at some snippets of his childhood, growing up as a young lad, uh, what would you say were some of his ambitions or at least uh, uh, visions for his journey growing up? I think the uh, the Islamic education and um, uh, the idea of community was very probably very strong and family. I mean, mm-hmm. he didn't grow up with his mother. And in a way, the family, because he was brought up by his aunt, Mm. the family, in a way, split, Mm -hmm. but also very much an extended community. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, is mirrored in his later life, how he lived his life, Mm -hmm. Um, mixing and matching with, you know, or like my aunt likes to say, licorice, all sorts Mm. of the, you know, of the (laughs) case and the community. 
Wonderful. So, um, yeah, I think it is very much about family education and community. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I think uh, family education community two two pivotal points you know in terms of growing up in those circumstances to try and nurture and uh, um what was it what was it like living with other religious minded or you know education minded people perhaps in in some part of Claremont or you know wherever they move thereafter mm. uh I don't know mm. uh, I would imagine it was probably very in a way, freeing and open, although the restrictions were there, you know, where they, you kind of, they weren't enforced, but the, the regimes were running things here and made sure that there were restrictions. Mm-hmm. Um, so that they're kind of invisible restrictions, you know? Yes, so, yes. Uh, but saying that, you know, in, in, in Cape Town, in the Cape Flats, you find many families who are mixed between Christian and Islamic and, mm-hmm. um, you know, non-devotional uh, so, so mm-hmm. it's quite varied in a way but very strong Islamic aesthetic mm-hmm. sure Be- besides Auntie Maryam that was <coughs> Apologies for that. One of the, the, the pivots in his journey growing up and, you know, ensuring some uh, a great deal of his success. Uh, who were some of the other role players, role models in that shaped his vision, shaped his thinking, um, mm. shaped his, his, his journeys going abroad, etc.? Well, I think when he came back, definitely Sheikh uh, uh, Abdullah Samildin, mm-hmm. Samildin and Sheikh Ismail Khanif, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, very strong teachers who could be influenced in the life. Mm-hmm. Um, <coughs> you know, mixing with other people. I, I don't know in terms of other role models. I don't know. And people that I've spoken to and have looked for mm-hmm. haven't really spoken about him in that sense. Mm. Um, it's, in a way, he was a role model for, for lots of other people from an early age. Right, right. You know, after mm-hmm. going to study, then he was like, he was the youngest of the five. Mm-hmm. But then he was the oldest of the, because um, his mother died, so his father married again. He mm-hmm. was the oldest of the, the kids that came then. Right. So he, he was himself the one, I think. Mm. Yeah? Interesting, mm-hmm. interesting, mashallah. And, uh, you know, with, I said, when you really study or you put yourself into the family, deep into the, into mm-hmm. the sciences, then our role models are always present throughout, right? Mm-hmm. From from Sahaba, from Muhammad and throughout, they're always role models so you can you can draw on. Right. I think the beauty the beauty for me, uh, as a kind of you know, growing up in this mm-hmm. century, that Oprah Abdullah Lonhoyan represented to me mm-hmm. someone who is linked with those old um those uh, you know, those, the Prophet Sallallahu Sahaba, who I had always found it very hard to connect with on a literal level. Sure. Um, because I, you know, I grew up in South London. I didn't grow up in, 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 the, in the desert. I didn't grow up in the circumstances, very different sort of circumstances, but still the respect is there. But when I looked more about at my grandfather, mm-hmm. I found that a very much, um, like someone I could relate to. And I think, in terms of a role model that we became, um, and, and I guess what I'm saying, we as Muslims, we have all these role models in Islam, in our tradition. Mm-hmm. Very hard also to relate to a lot of them, for me. But Opa, I could immediately relate. I could relate to him liking sports mm-hmm. and liking music and liking to dress and, you know, mixing mm-hmm. with different people. 
Wonderful. Things, uh, Sure, yeah. sure. Well, let's uh, head back to the marketplace for a quick uh, ad break and we'll resume shortly thereafter. Keep it locked. Born to serve. My eyes see injustice, my hands will for change, my tongue sing the sorrow of my heart. 32 after 7 in the PM, my name is Muhammad Sheikh, continuing with the legacy of the late Imam Abdullah Haroon via his grandson uh, Khalid and this evening we're unpacking some part of his childhood growing up etc um, Khalid just to introspect a little bit further with regards to his childhood and being community driven what were some of the initiatives that he uh, was either involved in perhaps initiated or at least had a great interest in growing up um, you mean oh, what, before or after um, Makkah, you mean... After he came back I, from Makkah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it was... For me, the, re, the the research I made into the film and what people have told me, that moment between him arriving back from Makkah and, I mean, he had to come back, I think the second time he went, 1945, the war broke out, mm-hmm. World War Two, So he had to come back. So I don't think he completed his studies there, but then he came back to study under those other shayu. Mm-hmm. And... Um, then it was about study, and until he became, and then he was Imam 55. Mm-hmm. So between those years, 45 and 55, he uh, was studying, and he was busy um, cavorting, I guess, with mm-hmm. my grandmother, mm. you know, and then um, my mum came in 1950, so I think it was very much about that, building a family, building um, uh, himself mm-hmm. in his Islamic studies, and then um, once he's imam, mm-hmm. then he had some a space and a, uh, and a place in order to implement, and that's when kicked in the kind of um, uh, giving women a platform, giving them a voice, giving the youth a voice, um, especially in Tara- during Ramadan. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how I kind of understand it, and that kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. That he was building. Is that period of building himself um, before becoming imam and building family and making those roots and then going into um, that that line. Sure. Are there any perhaps anecdotes recorded or, you know, um, incidents recorded or at least narrated from his perspective whilst uh, on journey in Makkah? Um, there is the story of uh, when the chef asked him, he was studying with two other, two or three other people. He asked them what you want to implement when you get back home. Mm-hmm. Um, and then one of the, I think one of the boys was talking about wanting to use the the knowledge he's gained to help community. Mm-hmm. Another boy, I think I'm not exactly sure. I'm paraphrasing. Said he wanted to help his family, and then Imam said he's going to fast. Every uh, twice a week mm. for the rest of his life, and that he maintained that promise. It was a kind of a, an oath he took, I guess, and he maintained it sure. until and his last his last few months he was fasting every day. Wow! Subhanallah. Amazing, mm. amazing. Mm. And in terms of, um, you know, um, the dynamics around his family circumstances, were there any particularly particularly difficult moments they had uh, collectively, either as a family, um, you know, or either in terms of the, the social setting for sending him across? Well, what were some of those dynamics? 
for sending him what, sorry? Sending him to Mecca in terms oh, of the um, family decision and... Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, mm -hmm. I think it was, I don't think it was a hard decision to make. I mean, Auntie Mariam uh, is quite stern and probably very straightforward person, didn't um, beat around the bush about anything. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, as, as with any... Um, as with many, most families growing up here, it was about the system and what it was slowly being enforced and slowly encroaching on um, a way of life, mm -hmm. you know, whether it was seen or not, there was this kind of hidden hand that was pushing down on the people. Um, and, you know, it's interesting how as the, the regime, the apartheid regime was would tighten their grip and they started to enforce laws. Opa was strengthening his knowledge and strengthening his fortitude mm -hmm. in order to react against that. And I think that, you know, then the group areas you know, happens in, and there's the Sharpeville massacre and all of these things in the early 60s. Mm -hmm. And that's when he's at his strongest in a way, you know, with his uh, political work, but also with his, with his, um, that's the Islamic focus mm -hmm. for Be justice. Besides mm. the journey to Mecca, what were mm. some of the other parameters of education that he was uh, part of in terms of schooling and uh, other aspects? Well, he only reached Standard 6 um, uh, at Tafala Primary mm. School. Um, and uh, and that, and, and studying under Sheikh Ismail Khanif and Sheikh Taha Khamildin, those were the parameters. Sure. Mm. Mm. And then it was the journey to Mecca, and uh, well, as they say, the rest is history. It is 38 after 7, inshallah. We are going to break for the waqt of Aisha, and uh, we'll resume shortly thereafter for the final touches on uh, some components of his early childhood and uh, education. Stay tuned to 91.3 FM. To Mecca and to be there for a while, sitting at the feet of the Sheikh, must have had a massive impression on him. Absolutely. And I think it's something we we can't, especially in this world of, you know, Google and being able to search the Islamic uh, understanding. We don't sit at the feet of teachers enough. Mm -hmm. um, less and less, and you know, and our lastly, we take the knowledge away by taking the people of knowledge away. Mm -hmm. So I think. As we move further away from that mm -hmm. experience, that is to be understood. I think it's something we should try and ourselves move closer to. So wherever they are, Sheikh, who have this link, we should sit with them, even if it's just to give salam. But uh, to learn, of course, even better. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, uh, Mr. Khalid Shamis, it's been wonderful chatting to you and shukran so much for sharing some insight as best uh, you could with regards to, uh, you know, the late uh, Opa, as you would call him fondly, the late Imam shukran. Abdullah Harun. Thank you for that. Um, I think it's, it's wonderful having started the series an absolute pleasure and privilege of mine to be, you know, uh, presenting here as well. So, yes, inshallah, we look forward to the remainder three and uh, um, all the best to you and any future endeavors that you have. Okay, thank you for that. Shukran. And for you, all the best. Inshallah. Khair. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.
That was Khalid Shami speaking to us with regards to the first uh, episode of four and uh, three more to come. The late Imam Abdullah Harun, and uh, it's been wonderful looking and introspecting about him. And I have a very interesting anecdote, inshallah, that I will share. Uh, you know, as we close uh, the end of the month, inshallah, with regards to some of my understanding of the late Imam Abdullah Harun and how his reach and political thought just didn't reach out to the shores of western community but the broader global muslim community at that time that's where we have to leave it for born to serve from myself muhammad Sheikh, this evening inshallah we will be tuned in the next few minutes uh, to reciters of quran but if you have to leave until the next time do keep well keep safe keep steadfast on deen fi amanillah wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh